Hi, my friends, and welcome to From Here to There. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing about the lives of many people throughout history and people alive today that God has worked through in order to bring increase and influence of His kingdom here on earth. But in this first series, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you my story, how God was able to take me from powerless to powerful and from the nest to the nations. I really believe that as you listen, God is going to give you keys to moving forward toward your God destiny. So let's get started with this week's message. As we're faithful to pursue God, He is surely working in us. He's working in us to bring increase in us personally and also through us to build His kingdom here on earth. If we are truly seeking Jesus, we cannot remain the same. Just like in the parable of talents, when we're faithful with a little, he will give us charge of more. But in the new level, there will be an outworking of what he's built in you, and it will not always be comfortable, but I'll tell you, it will be exciting. Today, I'm going to share a little bit of what I learned when I took that leap of faith from the nest to the nations, from my comfortable Western life to working in a Bible school in Manila, Philippines, and Let's believe, God, that I'm going to share something that's going to help you in your journey. So last week, I talked about that leap of faith, and we all get to take leaps of faith at times as God opens new opportunities for us. They are never comfortable, but they are necessary if we want to grow and increase. His will for us is ever-increasing, and every new level requires a new level of faith. Our capacity to believe God grows as we find him faithful again and again, but it's still uncomfortable. I'm thinking about David and Goliath and how David had that faith to defy that giant who was coming against the armies of God's people. And yet David had that faith because he said, I've already fought the lion and the bear. And so tackle your new level with confidence and faith that God in you is going to give you what you need and empower you for that new level. And it will be uncomfortable, but you will succeed. So it had been six years since I lost my husband when JD and I, my son, fifth grade son, he was 11, flew over the ocean to what I now know was into my calling. At the time, I viewed that as a temporary situation. God had been preparing me for a new level, but I had no idea that he was going to keep on preparing me and that this would be the rest of my life and my destiny. Once I was sure we were going to the mission field, the Lord had directed me to work with a couple who at that time was in Thailand, where they'd started a Bible school called Damata. But while we were getting things in order to go, they had moved to Manila, Philippines. And so that is where J.D. and I landed. He was in fifth grade, and my four other children were on their own at home and in the U.S. So I have to say here that I had zero interest in Bible school. (laughs) I only went to a Bible school because God told me to go with that couple. In my heart, I wanted to do crusades. I wanted to preach the gospel to the lost. I wanted to see healings and miracles, blind eyes open. Don't we all? But I was obedient to the Lord, and I found myself part of the launch team of Damata Philippines. And in that team, my roles were to lead worship, to direct crusades and outreaches. And I'm very thankful for the heart of the couple who was leading us because they 
were very focused on empowering us and nurturing us and helping us to succeed. I wasn't really planning to teach, but they immediately gave me teaching assignments. So at each new level that God brings us to, there will be an outworking of what God has worked in us as we were faithful in the last assignment. I talked to so many people who are frustrated in their current place. And trust me, I know how that feels. I've been there. But in a way, it's even more challenging when you finally step through a new door. So to illustrate this, I think about Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Jesus was 12 years old in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, when his parents and the whole family clan went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And it says in scripture that when they had finished, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was three days after that that they finally found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. So this is one of the few stories recorded in Scripture about young Jesus. He's almost 13, which is the coming of age for Jewish boys. We know from this story that Jesus had some idea of his calling in his heart. He must have desired greatly to pursue what was in his heart. He wanted to know more about the word, about scripture, and it was either purposefully or accidentally, probably, well, it couldn't have been an accident, I guess, but he stayed behind as his family left for Jerusalem to return to their home in Nazareth. I also love the cultural family pattern here. You know, just like in Nepal, when I was interviewing one of our students and I asked him about his family, and he described his family as his great father, his father, and his cousin sisters and brothers. So basically, to this young man, his family was a clan. It was a tribe. And I believe that's how this was as well, because Mary and Joseph never even looked to see if Jesus was with them. They assumed he was with somebody. And it wasn't until evening when he didn't show up that they began to worry went back to Jerusalem, and can you imagine, they searched for him in Jerusalem for three days, high and low, before finally finding him calmly sitting in the temple, in the midst of the teachers, listening and asking questions. So as parents, we can imagine how distraught they must have been, especially when they knew that Jesus was somehow the Son of God. They had lost the Son of God. The Amplified says when they saw him, they were overwhelmed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Listen, your father and I have been greatly distressed and anxiously looking for you. And Jesus made the statement, Why were you looking for me? Why did you seek me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Verse 50, But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So we see here that Jesus felt that the father's business was his business even at the young age of 12. And I'm sure the parents, Mary and Joseph, corrected him and told him, you come home with us right now. And he did. He returned home with them. 
where he remained for the next 17 years. It says in verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. In other words, he was obedient. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. So while it says they didn't understand what Jesus meant, Mary was thinking, I'm sure, about her angel encounter, about the prophecies of Anna and Simeon when Jesus was eight days old, about the dreams that Joseph had had, and what this all might mean for her 12-year-old son. The moral of the story here is that Jesus thought he was ready at 12, but he went home to be obedient to his mother and father, and he learned to build with his hands, helping his father as a carpenter. Isn't that interesting that Jesus in Matthew 16, in his ministry to his disciples, said, I must build my church. So Jesus grew for 17 years in his hometown building furniture to prepare him for his high calling, which was to build people and build a church of people. When it finally did come time after 17 years for Jesus to step into the fullness of his calling, we find this story in John chapter 2, the first miracle at Cana. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, Son, they have no wine. And Jesus said, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother then turned to the servants and said, Whatever he says to you, do it. So Jesus at this point is saying, It's not time. My hour has not yet come. But again, Mary, his mother, who was an authority in his life, insists She doesn't even reply to him. She just turns to the servants and just do what he says. And that result is the very first miracle in the Bible, a beautiful miracle that was not even out of real need, but just to enhance a celebration. So it's often like this with our callings too. Like teenagers, when we're in preparation for our call, we just can't wait to be out on our own. But when we do get out on our own, we can be overwhelmed by the new level. Just like a teenager, sometimes thinking, "Uh, it kind of was good in my parents' house where I had all the food and the roof over my head. So in this new level in the Philippines, I wouldn't really say I was overwhelmed, but I was definitely challenged and learning new things every day. I remember coming home sometime in that first year or two and asking my pastor Mark, How come, Pastor Mark, the five years before I went on the mission field, God was constantly working in my heart. He was always showing me things I needed to correct and unveiling things and revealing things. And I said, now it just seems like he's doing nothing. And Pastor Mark replied that God had before been working in me to get me to this new level But now there would be an outworking of the things that he'd done in me. And the outworking wouldn't be so much of the heart, but of the natural things, of the learning new things. And so I did find that to be true. And later on, I'll share in a future episode how those words came back to me when God began working on the inside again. So what were some of the things I was learning? First of all, was the great culture difference. 
And this is such a big topic that I'll just leave it to focus on in the next podcast. But culture will stretch you and refine you and actually threaten you at times. Second, I had to learn to flow. You know, (laughs) I tell people this too on the mission field. You know, you can't be so worried about everything being on time and scheduled and when are we going to do this and that. If you are like that on the mission field, if you're not flexible, you're going to break. And so I had to learn to flow And I'm going to share here about music and worship, but really I had to learn to flow with my whole life. And I'll share about driving next week when I talk about culture. That's another story. But as a musician, I was skilled, but I relied on my chord sheets. And when we did a song, we did it in a certain structure, and that's just the way it went. There was no flexibility. But now I was there on my own. Sometimes I had a singer or two but I was the one with the responsibility. Now, the thing about Damata that was so unique and really so awesome, that it wasn't just focused on the word, but also on the moving of the spirit of God. And so what that meant is that at any time when the word was being taught in a class, there could be a sudden time to demonstrate or confirm the word that was being preached. And that was where my role came in, because that meant that at any time I could be called upon to go to the piano and help as God began to move. Now, this might be a time of consecration when everyone was on their face on the floor, or it could be a time of fire when people were having hands laid on them and they were running and jumping everywhere. And this was something I'd had experience with a little, but certainly not like this at the last minute. So I remember standing at my piano, tearing through my music box, papers flying here and there, this way and that, trying to find the right song. And this took days and weeks and months of learning. But I finally learned that the song was not in the box. The song was in my heart. And when I stopped stressing and started listening to the Holy Spirit, he would help me to find the right song. I was directing Crusades for the school at the time. And as I'm pretty administrative, I enjoyed organizing those things. But at this time in my life with the worship, it almost got so that I lost my ability to plan. I had so much difficulty making a song list and it was so embarrassing. It's kind of like God took away my planning ability for a while in order that I had to learn to follow and flow. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm really thankful that he gave me back my planning ability after I learned. So first, culture. Second, learning to flow, and especially in music and worship. Third, I began teaching. Now, I'd studied and studied the Word for the previous five years. In those days, like I said, we really didn't have much Internet. I would sit on the floor surrounded by all my different translations and concordances, And I would just spend hours studying and researching and how I love those times in the Word. My leaders in Manila had asked me to teach worship. That was one of the first classes they gave me. And I got out all my books and took notes, and then I crafted the material into teaching outlines. And I've used those outlines now for over 20 years. Of course, they were refined and revised and added to over the years, But this initial time was the beginning of something that I would build upon in my future. I remember that one of our students had a connection with Habitat for Humanity, 
And there was a village that Habitat had built called Topsville. And because the homes had been given freely to the families, the families were required to meet on Saturdays, and we had the opportunity to go there and preach. So the leaders that I had sent me. There I went, together with my son and a few of the staff and students. I took my piano, because I'd never preached without it in front of me. We did some worship music, and then I shared a simple message on how to ask Jesus into your heart. This was being translated into Tagalog. And then I gave the altar call, and I explained how to ask Jesus in your heart. There were about 30 people here, and I asked them to raise their hand, and 20 or 25 of the 30 raised their hand. Now, great woman of faith and power that I am, we had been doing music programs in the U.S. for years where we would work for weeks on drama and songs. And in my heart, all of it was just to get to the point at the end where I had 10 minutes to give an altar call or a challenge and pray that someone would raise their hand. And occasionally someone raised their hand to get rededicated, but it usually was, you know, not very successful. So here I'm seeing 25 of 30 people raising their hands, and I think to myself, they didn't understand what I just said. So I preach it again, a little bit different, and I ask them, if you want to do that, raise your hand. They all raise their hand again. Still, I'm thinking, this is too good to be true. They didn't really clearly understand me. I say it again, and I say, this time, if you want to do that, come forward. And sure enough, 25 people come forward. We pray with them to be born again. And I'm like, hallelujah, all my revival prayer for the last five years, it's finally heaven's open. Revival is here. And truly, revival was there in the Philippines. But of course, I found out the next week that the same people raised their hand to be born again, again, and again, because they had never been taught on what salvation means. I went there week by week, and it was like a church was starting. I mean, I remember one time I was standing outside with a crowd of every age, And this time, I only had a sound system, not a piano, and I had gotten used to just preaching in a mic. So I was sharing the word and trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, how to make it applicable to the old people and the young people and the kids. And while I was concentrating on that, a little kid walks up to my right, up to the speaker, which is on the ground, and begins to pee. He doesn't have any pants on, just a shirt. And I'm thinking, while I'm preaching, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I hope that doesn't short out the speaker when thankfully one of my students comes and whisks the little boy away. I was so grateful for that. That was a learning curve for me. It helped me later, a few years later, when I was in India preaching in a house church and the pastor's grandson was riding around me in circles on a tricycle that squeaked. Well, I could be undistracted at that time because of Manila. Manila prepared me for that. The fourth and final thing I'm going to mention today that I learned is why I was in a Bible school. The first Easter we were there, my director was invited to preach at a drug rehab center, and I went along with him to do the music. And after we had a wonderful service, she came up to us and she said, that was just so great. Could you guys come back every Sunday? And my heart just sank. I thought, no, we can't come back every Sunday. And I realized then that if I did everything I could do every minute for the rest of my life, it wouldn't be only a drop in the bucket of the need of all the people at that time in Manila with revival full on that were ready to hear the word. And so I thought, you know, that's why I'm in a Bible school, because in the Bible school, I can teach them 
and they can go where I can't go. And so I became just a fan, a devotee of Bible schools from that point on, because I saw the huge value of the multiplication of the Word and of the Holy Spirit. We ended up turning Topsville over to our church because it was becoming a church, and I couldn't take the responsibility to pastor it at that point. And I don't know, we never sent anyone back to that drug rehab, but I believe that God sent someone. So the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And Jesus said to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. So this is what we've been doing for the past 20 years, training up laborers. And praise God, you may be one of those laborers. So takeaways from today. God is working in you for increase, number one. Number two, there will always be new levels where there will be an outworking of what God has done within you in the previous time of your assignment. So let God work in you, my friends. Don't be impatient to get to the top, to get to the mark of the high calling. Realize that God is shaping you. He's training you. He's working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Takeaway number three, new levels are uncomfortable, but there are always new things to learn. And so change is uncomfortable, risk is uncomfortable, but God is with you. His Holy Spirit is with you to lead you into these new things and to show you the way to go. And so you'll come out richer for it. Number four, our kingdom assignment is to help others find their callings in God's work so that he can multiply his kingdom. Wherever you are right now, whether you're a new believer, a non-believer, a minister, whatever level you're at, I can tell you with a certainty, God has a plan to work in you. God has a plan then to work through you to help others grow. I love it. In God's eyes, it's all about you, but it's never just about you. Your life is valuable in the kingdom to grow others and to affect others. And I believe that God's working in you toward that purpose. So I hope you enjoyed some of these stories as much as I'm enjoying remembering them. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you, thank you that you're working in us. Thank you that you are able to do in us what we could never do on our own. And so for friends of mine that are listening, that are feeling that place of pressure, like Jesus when he was a boy thinking like, I need to get about the Father's business. I need to be doing what I see in my heart. Lord, I pray that you would work in them. Revelation they're in the right place at the right time, that there are things for them to learn in this assignment, that you are sharpening them, you are deepening them, you are causing them to learn to walk and work with you, with your grace, Lord, for the future. Let them be soft and flexible and pliable in your hands, trusting you that you are able to do in them what they cannot do, that you want them to reach that mark of the high calling as much as they do, and that you're not stopping them, but you are preparing them for what you have prepared for them. And so I thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit, as I pray right now that you're working, you're comforting, you're challenging, you're revealing, you're just being with my friends so that they know they're not alone. I thank you, Lord, for the great things that you've done in my life, and that, Lord, even when I was faithless, you remained faithful. And so I thank you for your faithfulness, and I do pray that we would be willing and we would be obedient, Lord, to do the things you've called us to do at this time so that you can work in us for the future. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. 
Well, it's been really fun sharing with you today. And next week, I guess I'll talk, my plan anyway, is to talk some about culture and about how we can learn from it and how it shapes us and how we can shape others. And so I hope you'll join me for that. Share this episode if it's blessed you. God bless you and talk to you next week. Thanks for listening today. I pray you were blessed and encouraged. One of my life scriptures is Hebrews 11.1 in the Jordan translation. It says, Now faith is the turning of dreams into deeds. It is betting your life on unseen realities. In Jesus Christ, you have what it takes to step into all God has prepared for you. If this episode's blessed you, please share it with someone else. I look forward to meeting with you again next week.